This is Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. And right now, that is college basketball. It's February. Things are heating up. We can taste the madness. We can see the madness. It's right in front of us. It's a great time of the year, and I'm ready to talk all about it. I have an awesome show planned for you today, but first a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. If you like the show, I'd love if you subscribe and leave a five-star review. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Sports. Okay, let's get right into this thing, and this is going to be a sh- solo show, because as y'all heard last week, Brian is out. Brian had his first baby, a, a little baby boy. I know they were watching college hoops on Saturday. He said they were watching some Iowa State, Kansas. They were watching the Terps take down Minnesota. Before you know it, Brian and baby Jordan will be right back here on the podcast, breaking down all the games. Can't wait to teach that kid everything I know about college hoops college hoops, gambling, and uh, sports in general. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But he's not here. Brian's not here. I'm here for you because I'm always here for you breaking down college sports. It's what I do. And what a day we had on Saturday in the world of college basketball. And there's only one place to start, and that's with the number one team in the country, the Purdue Boilermakers, going down for just the second time on the year Falling to 22 and 2 with a road loss to their in state rival, the Indiana Hoosiers. And I think we got to start with the Indiana side of this thing because when you get a big win like that over an in state rival, over the number one team in the country, you deserve your props. And I'm going to give Indiana their props today because I saw Indiana in person less than a week ago on the road at Maryland. And the team that I saw. Take the floor at the Xfinity Center was a very different team than the one that scored 79 points on Purdue, the most points Purdue's given up all season. They hadn't given up, given up more than 70. Indiana dropped 79 on them, used a great first half to get off to a big lead. I think it was like a 15-point halftime lead for the Hoosiers, and they looked like a completely different team than the one that Maryland really dominated, shut down offensively uh, in a a 66-55 loss earlier this week. So what did Indiana do so well? Well, in the first half, I could not have been more more impressed with their pick-and-roll game with Jalen hood Shafino and Trace Jackson-Davis. I thought it was a great strategy to use a lot of on-ball screens with Trace Jackson-Davis where they could get Zach Eady out away from the basket, and then force him to move, force him to keep up with a guy who's more athletic, although smaller, in Trace Jackson Davis. And the result was you saw a bunch of Trace Jackson Davis lobs. You saw uh, plays where Hood Shafino was able to find an open man and there were, somebody was able to finish because Edie was just a step slow getting back to the hoop to defend, and I think that's one of the big benefits of being able to get Edie away from the basket. Indiana did a really nice job of that in the first half. Now, the other thing Indiana did a fantastic job of was creating turnovers. Purdue is one of the best teams in the country at limiting turnovers. They're ranked 77th overall in terms of offensive turnover percentage, turn the ball over on just 17% of possessions, In the game against Indiana, 
they turned the ball over 16 times, nearly 25% of their possessions, with the vast majority of those coming in the first half. And there were a variety of types of turnovers. There were some where it was kind of clear in, uh, Purdue seemed a little flustered playing on the, on the road. There was some where Purdue was trying to force because they just couldn't get the ball into Edie. They couldn't beat Indiana's guards on the perimeter. They were forcing things and uh, turning the ball over. So kudos to Indiana for making Purdue uncomfortable on the perimeter and and forcing those turnovers. Uh, so I think when I think about how Indiana won that game, it was forcing turnovers and it was putting Zach Eady in uncomfortable situations defensively to open things up for Trace Jackson Davis, who had ended up with a team high 25 points. Trey Galloway added 11, and Jalen Hood Shafino had 16. Those three were really kind of the the stars scoring wise for Indiana on the day. The other thing was making Purdue uncomfortable defensively, forcing turnovers. Zach Eady still did what Zach Eady does. 15 for 19, 33 points, and 18 rebounds. An unbelievable stat line by any measure. And if you watch the second half, you would have thought, well, okay, I don't know what happened in the first half, but Purdue looks like Purdue always does. Getting needed the ball, basically unstoppable. But it is a 40-minute game, and Indiana did those things in the first half to build a nice lead, to build a 15-point lead at halftime. And they, they never relinquished it. They were able to hold on and get the win. The other thing that Indiana did extraordinarily well compared to the Maryland game was get to the rim. Against Maryland, Indiana looked like they had one option, and that was Trace Jackson Davis. And if he couldn't do something, nobody else could get to the bucket, and they were going to end up putting up some sort of not great-looking mid-range shot. They took 30 mid-range shots against Maryland. They were 10 of 30 on those mid-range shots, and they were 8 of 15 at the rim. Well, against Purdue, a very different story. 13 of 25 at the rim, and just 22 mid-range shots, 13 of 22 from the mid-range. And it wasn't just Trace Jackson Davis getting to the rim, although he was the the main guy as he always is, but Jalen Hood Shafino got there a couple more times. And Jalen Hood Shafino was knocking down some of those mid-range jumpers that he didn't make against Maryland. Against Maryland, he could not buy a bucket. He was one for twelve from inside the arc, 0 for two outside the arc. Eleven of his twelve two-point field goal attempts were mid-range jumpers. Not exactly what you want to see. A little more balance from Hood Shafino. 8 of 14 from inside the arc against Indiana. 0 of 1 from 3. Four of his shots, at four of his twos at the rim. 10 from mid-range. But he went 6 of 10 from mid-range this time. So a much better combination of actually getting to the rim by Indiana and then knocking down some of those mid-range jumpers. Something that they just could not do against Maryland. So what does this say about Indiana? Indiana's a team that had been extraordinarily hot going into that Maryland game. They had won five in a row. They were going on the road in maybe a bit of a look-ahead spot 
going to with with the Purdue game looming, a big home game against number one in-state rivals. They fell flat on their face against Maryland, only scored 55. So what is this game this week with the loss to Maryland and a win against Purdue say about Indiana? I think it says that Indiana is like most of the other teams in the Big Ten who have the ability to come up with a big win on any given night, but can also lose to one of the other six, seven, eight, nine teams that are very similar. To me, when I look at the Big Ten, I don't see much difference at all between Rutgers, Indiana, Maryland, Illinois, and Iowa. I think that's the clear group right now, the clear group of six teams immediately hot behind Purdue. I think that group has separated themselves from kind of Northwestern, Michigan State, Penn State, certainly Wisconsin and Ohio State, and then uh, without a doubt, Nebraska and Minnesota, the two bottom feeders. But I think there are six teams that are right there in contention for number two in the Big Ten, and Indiana is one of them. I think what Indiana's long-term prospects, when you think about NCAA tournament, is going to come down to, it's really going to come down to Jalen hood Shafino. Jalen hood Shafino has been forced into a lead guard role for them with the injury to Xavier Johnson, and you kind of saw a tale of two games. Against Purdue, he did a fantastic job with it. He was a lead guard, and he did everything you could ask for him, four assists, just one turnover, added 16 points. Against Maryland, three points. We talked about his woeful shooting night, but he also had four turnovers to four assists, a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, which is not just not going to cut it. And I think that is he is going to be the X factor for Indiana the rest of the way. If you can get what you need out of him, if you can get the Jalen Huchifino who played against Purdue, then you're going to be in for a, you, I think this Indiana team could be a Sweet 16 team, no question, maybe an Elite 8 team, because Trace Jackson Davis, clearly one of the best bigs in the country, one of the best players in the country. I think for my money, there is no question that Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady are first team All-American. Zach Eady, best player in the country, hands down National Player of the Year. Uh, a winner in in my estimation. So I think that is what you're looking at with Indiana. I think this proved that they are in that group. They should be talked about as the second best team in the Big Ten. And now with, what, eight or so games remaining in conference play, we're going to see how Jalen hood Shafino develops over the last third of the season here. Can they get Xavier Johnson back? And how does that play together? You look at last year with Kansas. Kansas was having a really good season. Remy Martin, their point guard, had missed a lot of time throughout the season. But he came back and really started to find his groove in conference tournament play and the NCAA tournament. So I don't know if Xavier Johnson is quite at the level of a Remy Martin but I think Jalen hood Shafino has shown, highly touted guy coming out of high school, he's shown flashes this year. Maybe he hits his stride come March, and the Hoosiers become a team that can win a Big Ten tournament, that can win 
few rounds and then still the tournament, make a Sweet 16, make an Elite Eight. But I think it's very clear they are in that group of six teams right behind Purdue. A great win for Indiana, something they should be excited about, proud about. They rush the court. I have no problem with Indiana rushing the court. Uh, I think it's, it's fun. You know, as long as nobody gets hurt, as long as the teams are, are safe coming off, I think, look, it's fun. It's something that the students will remember for the rest of their lives. It's something that Race Thompson was standing there welcoming everybody on the court. It's something the players will remember for the rest of their lives. It was a huge win for Indiana, and now Indiana has to do what is so difficult in the Big Ten, which is go out and back that win up with wins against the other five teams I mentioned they're competing, uh, competing with. They have Rutgers on Tuesday. It's a home game. If Indiana wants to show, okay, we are the clear number two behind Purdue, and we want to even challenge them for that top spot, they got to go beat Rutgers on Tuesday. That is a monster game. Can you follow up an emotional win like that by beating another really good team? Rutgers is number 15 in Ken Palm. Rutgers is, I believe, tied with Indiana in the conference. There's a whole group of teams tied, and I think it's many of them are the the teams that I mentioned. Actually, Rutgers, my apologies, Rutgers is a game ahead of Indiana. Rutgers sits alone in second place at 8-4, and four, while Indiana, Maryland, Illinois, Iowa, and Michigan are all at 7-5. and five. So that was a huge win for Indiana, but as is life in the, in the Big Ten, they got to go back that up with another big win against Rutgers on Tuesday night. From the, from the Purdue perspective, you know, I think what this tells us about Purdue is that like every other top team in the country, they have their flaws, they can be beat, and there are no locks in this college basketball season. There are no sure things. And Purdue was looking like a, about as much of a sure thing as we had seen this season. They were 22 and 1 coming into this game. Uh, 11-1 in the conference. Their only loss was by a point to Rutgers. And I was kind of thinking before this weekend, I was thinking the way I saw Indiana play earlier in the week, I thought Purdue could go into Bloomington and really handle that game and really start to make us have the conversation about whether Purdue was that clear team that is just head and shoulders above everybody else. And I think what this game showed us is that, yes, Purdue is very good. Yes, Purdue is a clear number one seed. I would still have Purdue as my number one overall seed in the country if the season ended today. Nine and two in quad one games. Nobody else has nine wins except for Kansas, who's nine and five. So better win percentage-wise than Kansas. The number four in the net. And uh, Purdue has the best player in the country. So I think Purdue is still my number one overall team. However, we've seen some cracks with them. Against Maryland, Jameer Young absolutely identified the mismatch that he had on him in Indiana guard Trey Galloway, and he was going at him, getting to the rim every time against him. Against Purdue... Purdue's guards seem to have a hard time getting by Trey Galloway, getting by the other Indiana guards. It really seemed like it was Zach Eady or bust. And everything runs through Zach Eady, as it should. He is the best player in the country. He is 
the is not necessarily backed up by stats, but he feels like the most efficient player in the country. I mean, every time you look up, he's putting up some sort of unbelievably efficient offensive performance. I, I he feels like the the most efficient player in the country as far as Ken Palm goes. He is the national player of the year for Ken Palm, so everything should run through him. But when you talk about the NCAA tournament, you gotta have multiple ways to win. And following the Michigan State game, I said I felt like I had changed my opinion. That Fletcher Lawyer showed in East Lansing that he could get to the bucket. He could come up with big shots. He could make big free throws, and they could win a game where their guards were getting getting buckets. Uh, Mason Gillish, just earlier this week, set a Mackey Arena record with nine threes. So it's not, it's not Edie and everybody else. There are guys that have been stepping up and playing well, but in this particular game, the Purdue freshman guards, well, they they looked a little bit like freshman guards. And I think much like I said, Jalen hood Shafino as a freshman guard for Indiana is going to be the X factor for Indiana. I think the question still for Purdue is, can Fletcher Lawyer, can Braden Smith as those two freshman guards, can they carry you if something happens to Zach Eady, or can they be solid enough in a, if a team is pressing, if a team is getting up and down the court, if a team is forcing turnovers to limit those turnovers and make sure that they are playing their game and Edie is getting all of his requisite touches? That is going to be the big question. I, I said after the Michigan State game, I think I can trust them because of what they showed in East Lansing, particularly Fletcher Lawyer and what he showed in East Lansing. This Indiana game doesn't make me completely reconsider it, but it does continue to show that that is a that's still that's still a possibility. It's still a weakness for them, and they are not this lock, this sure thing. Just like Houston's not a sure thing. Just just like Tennessee, Alabama, UCLA, Arizona, Texas. None of them are sure things, and that's just the kind of year we're having in college basketball. The other thing that we saw in this game, I, I think, is that if you have an athletic big like Trace Jackson Davis, you can do a lot against Edie on the offensive end. And now, granted, Trace Jackson Davises are not a dime a dozen. There are very few teams out there with a Trace Jackson Davis. But pulling Edie away from the basket, making him defend a little bit on the perimeter, making him move laterally, go side to side, try to get back to the basket, uh, it's effective. And Trace Jackson Davis is not even a guy with much of a perimeter game. Yes, he can handle the ball. He can take the ball to the basket. But you don't even have to respect the three from Trace Jackson Davis. He's taken zero, no threes on the year. So, you know, there are some stretch fours out there, stretch fives, who do have a better outside game than Trace Jackson Davis. And I do wonder if that is going to be what we see when Zach Eady, when a team matches up with Zach Eady in the NCAA tournament, where they're able to get him away from the basket more on the defensive end and create more space, create more opportunities. If you have a team who can do that, who can put a little bit of pressure on the ball, that's the matchup Purdue doesn't want to see. And I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but I think I feel like Tennessee is that kind of team that they would probably be not, not love to see. So that is my takeaway on Purdue, is they are human. I there was a chance that if they came out and they dominated this game, I was going to say 
Purdue is the team that we need to respect as the top team, the top dog, this year's version of Gonzaga or Baylor from a couple years ago where it's theirs to lose. The Final Four is is almost assumed. But, you know, this is a good reminder that this is just the kind of year we're in in college basketball where there are no sure things, and that includes Purdue. The other big game of Saturday that we got to talk about is a top 10 battle in the Big 12. What a conference that league is. The Texas Longhorns go on the road to the Little Apple, take down the number seven Kansas State Wildcats, 69 to 66, just days after beating Baylor. What a week for Texas. And this is a game where Texas was actually down 11 at halftime. They came storming back. And if you only watch the last minute of the game, I feel like that's really all you need to watch because it showed everything that Texas did well in the second half to make this comeback. You saw Christian Bishop getting a big bucket. Christian Bishop, what an unbelievable game by him. He had 14 points, and this is not a guy who is their go-to guy. He had 14 points off the bench. He averages seven on the year. In the couple games before this, he had three, seven, four, 11, but he played 26 minutes, had 14 points, six rebounds, and he was absolutely everywhere. They were running things through him in the post, and you know that's what impressed me. I'm so into teams having multiple ways to win. Now, the last time these two teams, Kansas State and Texas, played each other, Texas lost. They lost at home 116 to 103. This time they go on the road and they win a game where neither team scored over 70. They're able to play different styles, and this time Christian Bishop was a key. They also did a great job of forcing turnovers. They won this with defense, forcing 19 Kansas State into 19 turnovers. A lot of those were coming in early in that second half. And again, in that last minute, you saw Christian Bishop force a turnover. So, so much of this, this second half, the, the last minute of the game was a microcosm of it. And you saw why, what Texas did well. One of their best defensive performances in conference play, holding Kansas State to under one point per possession. Again, that first time around where Kansas State put up 116, they were at one point four points per possession. So a far cry from that really nice win by the Texas Longhorns. And they got that win uh, against Baylor as well earlier in the week after dropping, after dropping their SEC Big 12 Challenge game to Tennessee. And I think it's now time that we talk about the Texas Longhorns as a legitimate contender for a number one seed. I think when we think about number one seeds right now, You know, Houston more or less probably has one locked up unless things go drastically wrong. Same with Purdue. I think those are two teams that are going to take two of those four number one seeds. The winner of the SEC, whether it's Alabama or Tennessee, probably is going to earn a number one seed. I think ACC more or less is out of contention. And then that leaves the Big 12, the best conference in America. And right now, Kansas I'm sorry, so used to saying Kansas, Texas is the sole leader of the Big 12. They're at 8-2 and two, uh, with Iowa State at 7-3, and three, and then a slew of teams, TCU, Kansas State, Baylor, and Kansas, all at 6-4. and four. They right now are leading the best conference in America by a full game, and if the season were to end today, 
I would want them to be a number one seed, and I think we have to realistically start talking about it. And their numbers back that up. They're number eight in the net. They have they're eight and four in quad one wins. So the only two schools that have more quad one wins than them are Purdue at nine and two and Kansas at nine and five. They have more than Houston. They have more than Tennessee. They have more than UCLA. UCLA is three and four. They have uh, they have more than Arizona. Arizona's six and two. So I think a very compelling case for Texas to be a number one seed. And then all of their losses, they're 19 and four overall. Each of their losses are quad one losses. So they don't have a bad loss on the schedule. And just what an unbelievable job by interim head coach Rodney Terry to just keep this team rolling and still have them in this position to potentially win the Big 12 and go to the potentially earn a number one seed, go to the final four and even win a national championship. So just an outstanding job by, by him, an outstanding job by the players on this Texas team, a really impressive win on the road where they fought back. They played a little bit differently than they're used to playing. And they're right there in the conversation for a number one seed as they should be. But just like Indiana coming off this huge win on Monday, they are right back at it going on the road to the fog where they're going to take on another top 10 opponent in Kansas. And that is just life in the big 12. But if they want to be a number one seed, those are the types of games they have to play and win. And they are sitting at eight and two in conference right now. Bart Torvik projects them to go 12 and six in conference. And, you know, I think the big 12 champion is going to end up with taking quite a few losses. Unfortunately, the way Bart Torvik projects this thing out was Texas will be the outright champion at 12 and six. That will be the best record in the conference. And you know what? I am more than okay with a team that finishes 12 and six in the big 12 being a number one seed. I know that's not what we usually see, but this is a unique year in college basketball. And this is a unique conference where it's a very possible. You might have five teams that are all top four or five seeds, maybe even six teams. We don't see that typically in college basketball. And I don't want to just reward a team because they play in a weaker conference where the teams in this Big 12, they're playing a double round robin. They're battling night in, night out. And, and right now, Texas has earned it. Even if they drop a few more, whoever wins this league, whether it's Iowa State, uh, whether it's Baylor, whether it's Kansas, you know what? If, if you go 12 and six in this conference and you're the outright champion, I have no problem with that team being a number one seeds, but kudos to Texas. Uh, great performance again by Bishop. Great to see them locked down on defense. Hasn't been their forte this year. They're not a bad defensive team, but they've had some bad defensive performances. They're number 27 in Ken Palm as far as adjusted defense goes, but that it's hard to get that game that they had against Kansas State the last time around where they gave up over 100 points out of your head. So uh, a really nice performance by Texas, and uh, good to see them play in a different way and, and show that they're a versatile team. So those are the two big games that I really want to talk about. Now I want to get into a, a few minutes of our Maryland Minute because, my oh my, did Maryland have themselves quite a week. I've talked already a bit about the game that I was at, the Indiana-Maryland game, 
earlier this week. That was on Tuesday. Maryland wins 66-55. And my biggest takeaway from that, like I said, was Jameer Young was absolutely having his way with that Indiana defense. Jameer Young is really quietly playing his way into being a first-team All-Big Ten player. He has put up unbelievable stats uh, over the past eight games or so. Then, at following that Indiana game up, Maryland destroys Minnesota on the road, 81-46. Maryland was dominating that game, and Jameer Young wasn't even doing a whole lot at the time. He finished with 14 points in just 21 minutes, but it was a full-team effort a full-team destruction. Julian Reese, 16 points on 8-10 shooting in that Minnesota game. That was a game that Maryland had to win if they wanted to be taken seriously for that who is the second-best team in the Big Ten conversation, and they did. So I don't even want to focus too much on that because that was just a, you know, handle business, do what you got to do, and they did. The Indiana game is the one that got me excited. You know, I didn't come away from that game super impressed with Indiana. I thought they had some mistakes. I thought they were making mistakes, um, some self-inflicted wounds. But I think, again, Maryland does such a good job with switching defenses, with uh, throwing teams different looks, with extending that full-court pressure, and whether they're forcing turnovers or they're just forcing you to start your offense significantly later, it's been very effective. Again, Jameer Young, absolutely unbelievable performances over the last uh, several games. Over the last five games, he's had 14, 20, 18, 22 and 10 points. He is the worker for this team. He's a guy who's very much in that Anthony Cowan and Mellow Trimble lead guard mold before him. And these are guys that, you know, the Big Ten just doesn't have a whole lot of. I, I like to say he is a Big East guard playing in the Big Ten. And I think that gives Maryland a tremendous advantage, not only in conference, because you, these other teams don't see a whole lot of guards with the quickness and athleticism that Jameer Young has, but I think it enables Maryland to have a better chance to succeed once they get out of the conference and into the NCAA tournament. So Maryland is sitting at 7-5 and five right now in the conference. I said last week on the last show Brian was on, my, my prediction for this team is they ultimately finish 12-8 and eight in the conference. They get something around a 7 seed. I think that seems exceedingly likely and realistic right now. If you look at the Ken Palm projection, that's where they're at. I could not be more excited about this team right now. They are playing hard. Uh, You're seeing development. Julian Reese can't say enough about the development we've seen out of him in his sophomore season. And this, is, I think, is exactly why so many Maryland fans were clamoring for a change. We had kind of seen what the previous regime had done. One of the big complaints was the teams that never seemed to improve and peak over the course of the season. They seemed like they they peaked early. Now, this Maryland team seems like it's going to be peaking in February. Um, So kudos to Maryland. Kudos to Kevin Willard. Can't say enough about it. Uh, If I had to rate this first year by Kevin Willard right now, I'm at a 9. I'm at a 9 out of 10 as far as this is exceeding my wildest expectations. They have eight games left in the conference in conference play. It seems like they have a lot available, a lot in front of them, a lot possible. They can still get a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. They could 
they seem like they are going to be an NCAA tournament team. So they could make a run in the Big Ten tournament. They could make a run in the NCAA tournament. And if this is what we can expect as Maryland fans, as far as how the team develops throughout the year, uh, the way that Kevin Willard can adjust to teams and improve the second time around, the two teams Maryland has played twice this year, Michigan and Wisconsin lost both those games on the road. Then the second time around, beat them at home, making great adjustments. I I think Maryland fans have a ton to look forward to. They have a big one on the road at Michigan State on Tuesday and you know I think that will be very telling in can Maryland really go on a big run here and maybe push that record to like 13 and 7 or 14 and 6 to end the year really go on a huge run or is that very respectable very good 12 and 8 more what we're looking at here. So Tuesday is a big one for the Terps, but I think if you're a Maryland fan, you can't be anything other than ecstatic right now. I will continue beating this drum. Jameer Young should be a first-team All-Big Ten player. Brian kind of convinced me last week that... um, that picket from Penn State is the best guard in this conference. He's had just an unbelievable year as far as stats go. But Jameer Young provides something different to the Maryland, this Maryland team. He's the engine. He's a different look that a lot of Big Ten teams don't see. He's a big East guard in the Big Ten. And I think that really plays to Maryland's advantage. So I am looking forward to giving my opinion, giving my reaction to how the Terps play the rest of the year because as someone who's watched Maryland basketball for over 30 years now, it's uh, this has been a, a fun season and far exceeded my any expectations that I had coming into this one. I'm going to finish this episode off with a little one question, who's in, who's out. It's not even really a question. It's just something I'm going to tell you. And on y- yesterday, on Saturday, the... Indiana-Purdue rivalry, that was in. The Duke-North Carolina rivalry was out. I was so much more excited to watch this Indiana-Purdue game than I was to watch Duke-North Carolina. And it's just amazing. I think it goes to show how much things are dependent on the current teams, no matter how historic a rivalry is. There's only so much interest if you have two unranked teams squaring off. And that game was very much out. Duke won 63-57. Wasn't a particularly exciting game, in my opinion. I didn't watch a ton of it, but it was a it was a game that was, you know, it was close, but it wasn't high scoring. I didn't think either team was is particularly good. And it's a far cry from the final four matchup that we saw last year between these two teams. And I think it's a really good reminder that, you know, these rivalries are always going to be so important to the people who are in them. I mean, you are you got these two schools that are eight miles away in the state of North Carolina. This game is going to be important. But for everybody else out there in the country, I can't imagine wanting to watch that game more than wanting to watch Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady go head-to-head yesterday when one of those teams include is the number one team in the country. I would take both Indiana and Purdue to go further in the NCAA tournament than either Duke or North Carolina. I know we're sitting here last time, this, this time last year, and North Carolina was in a similar spot, but I just don't think either of these teams are particularly great basketball teams right now. We've talked kind of at length about the struggles of the ACC this season. But these two teams are both 
you know, call them top 40-ish teams and not much more than that. It was the names on the jerseys, and I, I think a lot of luster has been lost now with Coach K retiring, Roy Williams retiring a couple years ago, and I was kind of warning about this with the ACC, that the ACC was at this turning point where they were going to lose all these legendary big-name coaches and the things that made the ACC special. And there was a few people I had this conversation with that kind of scoffed at me. They're like, yeah, it's Duke and North Carolina. It will always be fine. But I will tell you, there have been years in the past where Duke and North Carolina has been appointment TV for me, where I've sat down and I've said, no, I don't care what my plans are. I am watching this Duke-North Carolina game. Yesterday was not one of those nights, and to kind of attest even further to this phenomenon, went out to dinner last night, and the place I went was a bar, it's a restaurant, but it has a bar there, and it had, you know, a TV on, and the Duke-North Carolina game was not even the game that was on TV in this bar and restaurant, and granted, I'm not in North Carolina, I'm in Maryland, and, but I think that goes to prove my point, is that outside of North Carolina right now, as high a level as it peaked at and reached last year, now those two teams are just two unranked teams playing. There's a lot of hatred, a lot of passion, a lot of animosity, a lot of history between those two schools and the people involved in it. But it just goes to show you how quickly a rivalry can go from being something that everyone is interested in nationally to something that is only relevant locally. So this weekend, as far as rivalries go, Indiana-Purdue was in, Duke-North Carolina was out. Well, that's our show. We are in the thick of things now when it comes to college basketball season. It's February, the Super Bowl is coming up next weekend, and then after that, college basketball will be the sport the rest of the year, or at least through March, will be it will be center stage, and it's a time of year that I love where we start talking bubble, we start talking who's in, who's out, who's the number one seed, uh, who's getting protected seed, who's being being sent where, is it fair for this team to go to Albany, or should they play their first round game in Greensboro? This is the stuff I love. This is the stuff you love. I can't wait to talk about it. What a wide open season. I expect more of the same over the next six weeks. I will be here to break it all down for you, so stick with me. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.